Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, Where's my Hoosier fans at in the room this morning? Anybody? All right, very good. Uh, Purdue fans, um, hey, don't worry. March is coming. They'll choke. (laughs) Hey, we haven't had the chance to meet yet this morning. My name is Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here today. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And as you turn there, let me go ahead and ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why something doesn't grow? Have you ever wondered why something doesn't grow? Now, I am not much of a gardener, but for the last several years, Rebecca and I have had this little garden patch, you know, with just a few little things like peppers and okra and strawberries and sunflowers. It's not much, but it's about all we can do. But last year, my oldest son, Judah, decided that he really wanted to grow a watermelon. He was just all in on this watermelon thing. Now, we'd tried various kinds of melons in our garden before and didn't have much luck, but he was determined. And so Judah got this watermelon seed and he planted it in his little patch of dirt. Now, what you have to understand is that in our backyard, we kind of have this one little patch of dirt that's reserved for the boys. That's like where they can go dig around, throw dirt clods at each other, and it's like a wasteland of Tonka trucks and miniature shovels, the whole nine yards. And this is where Judah decided to plant his watermelon seed. And so he plants his watermelon seed right there, and man, as much TLC as a five-year-old can muster. I mean, he watered and watered and watered and watered that seed until the soil could not hold another drop. And you know where this is going. Of course, the watermelon is not going to grow right there. There's just too much traffic. It didn't happen. But, you know, as parents... You know, you don't want to see your little child's heart get broken. You know, we didn't want to see this dream of a watermelon get shattered. So you might already know where I'm going with this. One day when my wife Rebecca was grocery shopping, she bought a watermelon from the store. Now, before you judge me, technically, we did not lie to our children. We never said verbally that this was his watermelon that grew out there, but Rebecca walked out one night and one night after they were asleep, and she just set this big old basketball-sized watermelon right in his patch of dirt. And I tell you what, when he woke up the next morning and ran outside, we didn't say a word, but he ran outside, and you can see the picture. We had one very happy little boy the next morning. Now... Listen, we are establishing a a, a relationship of trust here. I am begging you, please do not ruin it for him. Many of you know my son, okay? We will break the news to him someday, but for now, like this kid thinks he's the world's greatest watermelon farmer, all right? And he's happy in that delusion, and I'm going to let him stay there for a while. Now, we laugh at that because we know that's not how gardening works, right? Like, that's not how stuff grows. Fruit doesn't just magically appear overnight. It's much more painful than that. It is a slow, long process. Have you ever wondered why something doesn't grow? And and more than just plants. I'm talking about, like, at a deeper level. Have you ever wondered why someone doesn't grow, why, why, why that person doesn't change. Maybe you've even wondered that for yourself, like why am I not growing? Why am I not different by now? I should be growing more than I have. 
Jesus tells a story here in Mark chapter 4 to explain why some people don't grow. Verses 3 through 9. Let's catch up with Jesus and hear this story that he tells. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced the crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, if you don't quite get what Jesus is getting there at, at right there, don't worry. The original hearers of this story didn't quite understand it either. In fact, the crazy thing is, that was kind of the point. Now, if you've ever listened to a good communicator talk about the art of communication, they'll tell you that the most important thing is clarity. Clarity, clarity, clarity. That's what you want in a good communicator. In fact, for public speaking, there are three main rules for public speaking. Rule number one is be clear. Rule number two is be funny. And if you can't do either one of those, then rule number three is be brief, right? That's the rules of public speaking. And yet, Jesus was different. Because Jesus, oftentimes when he taught, did not strive for clarity. Oftentimes, people would hear Jesus preach a sermon, and they would leave confused. I'm sure many of you have had that experience with me too, right? But the difference is, Jesus actually did it on purpose. Jesus taught not always for clarity. And here's why. Jesus was a storyteller. Um, if you would go up and you ask Jesus a question, he would probably tell you a story. And in fact, if you ask Jesus a really tricky question, he would probably tell you a really tricky story. We call these stories parables. Some of you may have grown up hearing that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and that is true, but parables are also more than that. You see, Jesus told parables not just as illustrations. He told parables a little bit to be intentionally confusing, so you had to work for it a little bit. Jesus told parables to push people deeper. When you heard a parable, Jesus told that story so that if you had faith, You'd have to chew on it. You'd have to wrestle with it, and you would leave with more faith than you came. And if Jesus told that parable and you didn't have faith, then you might leave that story even more hard-hearted than you were before. Jesus didn't always teach for clarity. In fact, he goes on to describe that right here in verses 10 through 12. It says, when he was alone, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parables, and he told them this. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Jesus told stories to push people deeper. And this particular story, he wants, to wrestle, he wants you to wrestle with the question of why don't some people believe? Why don't some people grow? Jesus is telling this story to you and me today because he wants to push us deeper. So we're going to walk down through this story piece by piece. And as we do, here's my question for you. Which soil are you? Which soil are you? 
Because first, Jesus says, there's the seeds that fall on the path. And and the path is made up of hard soil. And the seed there on the path doesn't grow because the soil is hard. The problem's not with the seed. The problem is with the soil. And Jesus goes on to describe what these hard soil, path soil, hard-hearted people are like. He says this in verses 13 through 15. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Jesus says, the farmer sows the word. So there's the seed, the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So Jesus says the seed in this story, this is the word of God. And some people, when they hear God's word, when they hear God's truth, because their hearts are hard like that path, the seed of God's word doesn't get in. And the devil swoops in like a bird and he plucks that seed away before it can take root in the hard hearts of people. We're in this series through the Gospel of Mark where we're talking about how Jesus is the king and the good news he preaches is that the kingdom of heaven has come near and Jesus is gonna demonstrate his kingship in a lot of different ways. We're gonna see in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus never met a disease he couldn't cure. He never met a crowd he couldn't feed. He never met a demon he couldn't cast out. He never met a storm he couldn't calm. But he did meet skeptics he could not convince. And he did meet hard-hearted people that he could not convert. You see, there are some people who hear God's word. They've heard the truth. They've come face to face with the reality that Jesus is king, even here in this church, and they leave unchanged. That's why the brother of Jesus says this. In James chapter 1, he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says... It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Jesus is saying this is why some people don't grow. They just don't listen. Their hearts are hard like the soil on that path. And if I could just suggest maybe in love that there are some of you here in the room this morning who have felt the Holy Spirit prick your heart but you have gotten so good at ignoring him that you barely even notice it anymore. And if that is you, then let me warn you in love, you are hardening your heart and you are on dangerous ground. And this is true also if you know somebody, if you know somebody who's far from the Lord and they're living in these kind of unrepentant patterns of rebellion against God in their life, it's not wrong for you to pray that God would break them That God would break up that soil. The prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter four, this is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem, break up your unplowed ground. Break it up, soften the soil so the seed can get in. For my friends in my life who are far from Jesus, I will often pray because I love them so much that God would break them of whatever is hindering them from coming to him. And if that is you this morning, then my gentle encouragement to you is that you need to repent. My prayer for you today is that you will let the sharp edge of the Holy Spirit's plow dig into the hard soil of your heart so that you can be softened and receptive to what God wants to do in your life. I mean, if you're feeling like, I'm not growing, Jesus says it might be because you're hard soil. But that might not be the only reason. 
Jesus says, maybe that's not the reason why you're not growing. Maybe there's another reason. Jesus moves on from the hard soil on the path, and he talks about now the seeds that fall on the rocky soil, the shallow soil. Verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this. He says, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, have you ever seen like grass growing up in the middle of a gravel road or something like that? We, we know grass can grow in the rocks, right? It can spring up even really quickly, but, but it doesn't stay there very long. It's like a worm, it's like spring rain season. You know, spring rains, then like the worms are gonna crawl up on your driveway and your sidewalk because they think, yeah, we're home free. But then when the sun comes out, they don't last very long, do they? They kind of dry and shrivel up and get all nasty because the rock doesn't hold any water. And Jesus says that's like the faith of some people. And tragically, I mean, I've got a list of names right here in the cover of my Bible. When I think back to my friends in college who were growing so much in their faith right alongside, we were together in this thing. They were on fire for the Lord. They're ready to go serve Jesus with their lives. And I am shocked at how quickly some of them got out into the real world and they realized how much life hurts and their faith just shriveled up. So can I ask you this morning, when, when life gets really hard, what happens to your relationship with Jesus? Does it push you deeper or does it dry you up? And this is a really tender question for a lot of you because this is real people with real issues and for so many people, it's this question of suffering it's this question of pain, like how could a good and strong God allow all the pain in the world? It's that question that torpedoes the faith of so many people. But could we do a little thought experiment together? Imagine that you had a child sitting next to you right now and that you had the script of their life out in front of you, sitting on your lap. And as you flip through that script of their life, you're gonna see all the good things they're gonna experience that every kid should get to experience. The laughter and the joy and the long summer days and the ice cream and the birthday parties. You're gonna see all those good things. But as you keep reading the script, you're gonna also see some parts that are hard to read. You're gonna see that yes, that child, she'll have a good growing up years, but she's also gonna have a learning disability. And reading is gonna come easy for some kids, but it's gonna be hard for her. And she'll get to high school and she'll finally find some good friends, but then one of them will die from cancer. And she'll get into a good college, but she's gonna walk with a limp because of a car wreck. And she'll land a good job, but she'll be drowning in debt for three decades. And she will know the joy of love, but she will also know the pain of separation. And if I gave you an eraser, would you erase out all the difficult and hard things from her life? And before you do, are you sure that's a good idea? Because maybe, just maybe, it might be those hard things that shape her into the person that God wants her to be. You've probably heard the illustration of the butterfly in the cocoon, right? If you've ever seen the videos of those butterflies finally trying to escape from their cocoon, it's a kind of a large, long, arduous, like painful process. And, and the compassion in your heart wants to just kind of break the little cocoon open and let the butterfly out, right? But if you were to do that, even out of goodwill, it would be detrimental because it's the struggle of getting out of the cocoon that gives the butterfly the strength to fly. 
They can't fly without that struggle. There's a preacher named John Ortberg one time who ran a survey where he asked thousands of people, what is it that led to the most influential season of spiritual growth in your life? When did you grow the most spiritually? And what were the factors that contributed to that? And surprisingly, the factor that contributed most to people's spiritual growth was not great parenting or a good consistent church upbringing. It wasn't pastoral teaching or small group fellowship or worship services or theology books. It was suffering. The people grew more in, pains of, in seasons of pain and loss and crisis than at any other time. I'm sure if we sat down together, many of you could tell me those stories from your own life. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, says something else radical there. In James chapter 1, he says that when things get hard, he says, consider it pure joy. Rather than withering up, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So Jesus is saying that if you are not growing, perhaps you've been hanging out in the shallow soil. And when the sun gets hot and the pain is there, you need to dig your roots deeper. Dig deeper into the good news that Jesus is king and that nothing can happen to you in his world that he cannot use to make you more like him. Why don't some things grow? Jesus says sometimes there's hard soil, sometimes there's shallow soil, but he also gives us a third soil here. It's the soil with the weeds and the thorns. We could call that perhaps today preoccupied soil. Jesus says this in verse 18. He says, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So perhaps if we could summarize these three soils, we could say there's no growth on the path because of hardness. There's no growth in the rocks because of difficulty, but there's no growth in the weeds because of distraction. Preoccupation, Jesus says, worry is like a weed that will steal water and nutrients from your faith and hinder your growth. Um, I don't know if any of you are, are Amazon e-readers. I kind of like paper books still. But if any of you read books on your Kindle, Amazon actually keeps track of the things that you note and that you highlight. And they keep track also of what people underline and highlight in their Bibles when people read their Bible using their services. And Amazon recently released what their most highlighted verses of Scripture were. Now, if I asked you what were the most highlighted verses in the Bible, you might think John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world. You might think Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You might think, I don't know, something like the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But no, Amazon says the most highlighted portion of Scripture was Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that, don't you? Worry is a weed that will choke out your growth, and yet Jesus wants to offer you peace. 
And we've seen, haven't we, especially since the pandemic, a mental health crisis in our country and perhaps three of the biggest weeds that are growing in the collective soul of our country are the three A's, anger, apathy, and anxiety. Anger, apathy, and anxiety. We see it all around, don't we? And man, if you're angry or if you're apathetic or if you're anxious, there's no shame, but that is a warning light on the dashboard of your heart to look deeper and figure out just where that weed is coming from. And Jesus gives us one specific source here. Jesus targets materialism as the source of the weeds of distraction and worry that hinder people's growth. Jesus says, specifically, he says, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things. I mean, is that convicting to anybody else? Because <laughs> it's convicting to me. The deceitfulness of wealth. Now, if we were just completely financially open and honest with one another this morning, my guess is that a lot of you might say you have more money, you are making more money now than you ever have in your entire life. And yet, it hasn't really increased your mental and emotional and relational well-being. Some of you might say that if you're honest, you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're struggling to get by, you don't know how you're gonna make ends meet, you're drowning in debt, and you feel like if there's no even possible way you could live a life of generosity. And if that is you, I want you to know that God has something better for you and that he wants you to grow. And Jesus says that specifically, the desires for other things, that's the phrase he uses, the desires for other things is a weed that will choke your growth. Remember, scripture says not that money is the root of all evil, but that the love of money is the root of all evil. Here, here's the context for that. Let's read the whole section. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich, the love of money, those who want to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root. Jesus says it's a weed. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Jesus actually describes money in scripture almost as a rival God. Uh, there was an interesting study done a while back where neurologists studied the brains of religious people when those people felt particularly close to God and they examined, okay, which parts of the brain are lighting up? They did some brain mapping when people felt close to God, when they're praying or in a worship service or reading scripture. Then they also showed people like religious images, like a picture of a Bible or a picture of a church or a, or a steeple or something like that to see, oh yeah, okay, that same portion of their brain lights up. But then they did another fact fascinating study where they studied another group of people when they showed them a nice product from a quote-unquote cool brand, like a product from Apple or Starbucks or Ferrari, that exact same layer of their brain lit up. In other words, neurologically speaking, there was no discernible difference from when people were thinking about a new pair of running shoes than when they were thinking about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is a little bit surprising and, and convicting to me. That explains two things. Number one, it explains why I want a Harley so much. And number two, it explains why Jesus talks about money as a rival God. 
as a weed that can choke out your faith. Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen, money is not evil, but the love of money is. Money's a gift from God. If you have money, by all means, use it. That's a gift, use it, give it away, and watch the seed of faith in your heart take root and grow. But if you aren't growing like you want, Jesus says, watch out for the weeds of worry and the love of money. So if you're not growing, if you're seeing somebody in your life who's not growing, maybe it's because there's hard soil like the path, maybe it's shallow soil like the rocks, maybe it's preoccupied soil like the weeds, but if you really want to experience growth, to have Jesus bear fruit in our lives, let's look at the good soil together, the good soil, beginning in verse 20. Jesus says, others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. Jesus says the good soil hears his words and accepts his words. Um, Kyle Nelson likes to use the illustration of the difference between a tree and a water hose. And I thought it was a pretty good illustration. Both a tree and a water hose can receive the same amount of water, but they respond to the water very differently. We don't want to be like a water hose that the water just comes in one end and comes out the other, and it just keeps on going through, and that water hose just stays the same. It is never transformed. We don't wanna be people who come in here and God's word goes in one ear and out the other and we leave unchanged. No, we wanna be like a tree. And that tree, it receives that water and it soaks in that water and it stores up that water and it it uses it to build deep roots and strong fruit. This is what we wanna be. We wanna be good soil, Jesus says. So let me just ask the question again. Which soil are you? And if you're feeling like, man, there's some hardness in my life or there's some shallowness or there's some worry and preoccupation, I just need to take a next step. I, I need to step forward. I wanna be good soil today. Then I hope you know there's gonna be a prayer team around the edges of the room with their green lanyards on at the end of this worship service like they are at the end of every worship service. We'd love to walk with you and we would love to pray with you if you have felt convicted this morning. But here's the great twist in all of this with this story. Jesus didn't actually tell us this story so that we could figure out which soil we were. Jesus doesn't tell this story to us as a challenge to even be good soil. If we keep reading just a little further, we'll see his point. We'll see that the primary reason Jesus told this story was to explain why some people don't grow, why some people wouldn't believe in him, and to remind his disciples that the growth of God's kingdom was not up to them, it was up to God. God's gonna grow his kingdom whether we get on board or not. Take a look at what Jesus says in verse 26. It says, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters his seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how, all by itself. The soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The seed grows on its own. And I know that's, that's encouraging to me. I hope it is to you too, that at the end of the day, it's not our responsibility to grow the kingdom. It's God's. In these parables, we are not the ones sowing the seeds. We are not the ones growing the seeds. We're just the soil. God grows the kingdom, so trust him. 
His word never comes back in vain. Man, even if you feel like, looking in your life, man, I just don't feel like I'm growing any fruit. I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm changing. I hope this is an encouragement to you. I hope as you are going through, rooted, as we're all doing that together, you know what? My guess is that by the end of that 10-week experience in rooted, you're gonna look back, and it's not like a watermelon magically appeared in the garden, but you're gonna see, you know what? I think God grew a little bit more of his fruit in me, a little more love, a little more joy, a little more peace, a little more patience, a little more kindness, goodness, gentleness, a little more faithfulness and self-control. So I hope this is an encouragement to you like Paul encouraged the church in Galatians chapter six. Let us not become weary in doing what is good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. God grows the kingdom. And for some of you, listen, there's a person in your life that your heart is grieving over. They are far from God. They're preoccupied like the weeds. They're shallow like the rocks. They're hard like the path. And maybe you've wondered if they are too far gone. And the truth is, this parable tells us that there are some who will never listen. There are always gonna be those who look at our king and who say, no, his demands are too strict, his claims are too exclusive, and his path is too narrow. There are always gonna be those who choose to harden their heart or whose shallow faith is burned away by difficulty or whose preoccupied faith is withered up by distraction. But even then, we're going to continue to pray in the hope that nobody is too far gone and that God grows the kingdom. You could tell the stories of this in your own life, couldn't you? I could tell you this morning, my friend Reed, me and my friend Reed grew up and he lived the party life. He was so far from the Lord, but he got a summer job working at landscaping and his boss was this guy named Gus. And Reed says, Gus just started talking. He started talking about himself. Gus started talking about God and Gus talked about God like God was somebody he knew, not just a subject or a theory. And when Reed went off to college, Gus showed up every weekend at college and took him around to a different church until Reed found a church that he liked and Reed gave his life to Jesus. I could tell you about my friend Brad. Brad grew up as the heir to a big construction company, except one day Brad walked into his dad's office and he said, Dad, listen, I'm gonna have to step out of the business. I think God's calling me into ministry. And his dad said, Brad, the Lord told me when you were just a little boy that we were gonna have this conversation someday. Just didn't know it was gonna be today. I could tell you about my friend Derek. My friend Derek was living the party life. He went off to college just to go have a good time and he got into his dorm room and he found out that he'd gotten stuck with some Christian weirdo for a roommate. And when Derek was putting up his beer posters all over the dorm room wall, he came back one evening to find out that his roommate had stuck a poster on top of his beer posters and the Christian weirdo roommate had put up a poster that says, John 3, 7, you must be born again. And Derek thought, what a loser. <laughs> But a few months later, when Derek got drunk and ended up in jail because he'd assaulted a cop, it was that Christian roommate who came and got him and led him to the Lord. And today, Derek's a preacher in Las Vegas, of all places. <laughs> and his mission is he wants to see nobody ever call that place Sin City again because the kingdom of God has come. God grows the kingdom. It's his seed. It's his soil. It's his harvest. Isaiah chapter 55, God says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God grows the kingdom. 
In the 1940s, there was a couple named Vincent and Margaret Crossett who moved as missionaries to China. They had visions of starting this church planting movement over there. And after years and years of work in China, they were finally able to plant one little tiny church. But then in the late 1940s, some of you will remember a revolution swept the country. All the Westerners were kicked out and the Crossets had to leave. They were forced out. And they left behind these little baby believers in this little tiny house church under an atheist dictatorial government. How could this little tiny group of believers possibly survive? They thought this church was surely destined for extinction. And so for 40 years, the Crossets prayed. And they heard nothing from their friends that they'd left behind in China. But finally, when the political climate changed, Westerners were allowed back in. The Crossets hurried back to China. They went back to that village where they'd left behind that tiny, struggling little group of believers. And there was no small church in that village anymore. Instead, from that Bible study, that little Bible study in one little home, a church of 4,000 people had sprung up. And that church had grown and planted a dozen other churches, each of them with no less than a thousand people. All the Crossets could do was pray. And all the Chinese Christians had was the word of God. But the seed found good soil and God grew the kingdom. And so that's why as I look across the spiritual landscape of our country, even as American Christianity is deluded and distracted and full of rocks and weeds, the church around the world right now is experiencing explosive growth and renewal. And I don't know about you, but I want some of that for us. I don't want to spend our lives managing the decline of the Western church. Man, I pray that our young people who are experiencing awakening and revival and renewal across these campuses are gonna wake up to the reality that Jesus is alive and that he's plowing the soil and that he's sowing his seed, that he's softening hearts. And my prayer is that every single rock and every single weed in this place that is keeping us from him will be uprooted and we will renew our commitment to living according to his word to such a degree that the kingdom of heaven is gonna come here in Hendricks County so that on the day the Lord returns, he finds a crop here worth harvesting. God grows the kingdom. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are yours and the kingdom is yours. The world is yours and all that is in it. What a joy it is to belong to you this morning. We're lifting up in our minds right now, Lord, the people that we know who are still far from you. Bring to mind, God, right now, even a name and a face. God, would you break them? Break them in your tender and gentle love. Would you plow up the hard ground and would you sow good seed and bear fruit in the lives of these people? Would you impress upon them the reality of your existence and the depth of your love? God, would you bring us to repentance? That even now, would you pour out your Holy Spirit of conviction to cut us to the heart? Would you pull the weeds, get rid of the rocks? We wanna be good soil for you, Lord. Whatever it is that you wanna do here, have your way in us. We are yours and the kingdom is yours. We want to see a harvest. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. We're at our family meal together. You know, Jesus even used the illustration of of seed and a crop to describe himself and what he was going to do. 
In John chapter 12, Jesus said this. He said, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And Jesus described himself like that seed that would go down into the soil and would die and would come up again and produce a crop. And you and I are here today as the fulfillment of that promise, which is why we remind ourselves every single week of the new birth that we have received through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So we're gonna give you a few moments on your own now to receive this piece of bread that reminds you of Jesus' body laid in the earth, cold and dead for three days, and risen again, and reigning eternal as king of heaven and earth. And then we'll pray and we'll receive the juice together to celebrate his blood. Jesus, we thank you for your body, whipped, beaten, pierced, nailed to the cross, laid in the tomb, risen from the dead. We thank you for your blood that poured from the crown of thorns on your head, from the shredded skin on your back and the hole in your side the blood that poured from your nail-pierced hands and feet to wash us clean in the sight of God. We praise you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Christ. If there's anything we can pray for you about, we would love to do that now. The prayer team will be gathered around the edges of the room. Let's stand and worship our King together. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.